Today on Never Was a Gamer. You'd think we had maxed out Dimitri's nostalgia with WWF No Mercy, but here we go again. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the master of the Sega Master System, Dimitri. Hello. You already called me out on this being another episode all about (laughs) me, apparently. (laughs) It's always about me. (laughs) You wanted to do this one. Yeah, I just thought it would be fun to expand your horizons. Backwards in time. (laughs) That's what this whole show is about. Yeah, that's true. True enough. So yeah, we're doing a little grab bag today. We're revisiting my childhood with the first system that I ever owned, which is the Sega Master System, uh, largely because it's something that you're not very familiar with. I'm not familiar with it at all. We um we never had it. I didn't have any friends who had it, to my knowledge. I like, you know, I almost didn't know that this existed very nearly, except for your stories. Yeah, it's. It's kind of strange that I even have one because, you know, it was popular enough in North America, but not even close to to what the NES was selling at the time, which was, uh, of course, its main competitor. And, you know, I I, I have it just because um, I have a mom who didn't know anything about games. And she's like, I'll take this one. Give me that one. <laughs> yeah, which I, I'm really kind of glad that she did, because otherwise, you know, it's very easy, especially now. And, you know, having grown up to play all the major NES games, they get re-released kind of ad nauseum. You almost can't avoid them. Yep. So I, I feel kind of fortunate that I actually got to grow up with these games because I, I end up playing the NES ones anyway. Whereas had I had an NES, I don't think I probably would have revisited these games at any point. Yeah, totally. No one's putting these on like online mode on, you know, like I can pull up a lot of NES games on my Switch in two minutes if uh, if we wanted to. Yeah, and a lot of these did get released when uh, Nintendo was doing the virtual console on the Wii, but they haven't really done a Master System collection or anything since. And so, you know, they have been re-released, but you, 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 kind, of have to, you kind of have to dig for them. So was this the main system that you would have played with your mom? Because your brothers aren't around yet at this point, right? No, yeah, I would have gotten this, I don't know, when I was three or four. Okay. And so, yeah, and, and my dad's not playing. My dad's <laughs> okay. not playing games. <laughs> right out of the question. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, this is this is mostly me and my mom, and I really don't think she knew what she was getting herself into when she bought this, or you know that I would be playing games, you know, so many years later, and it, it's really all her fault. <laughs> and you know, I I just remember, I think I, I would have gotten this for Christmas one year. I don't know exactly what year, but I, I, you know, I think it w- would have been around three or four. This came out in North America in '86. I know I want to say I would have got it '89. Sure. I, I yeah, I I, I don't really know. What I do remember, though, is that when my mom was giving me, I was asking her, you know, how you always like pester your parents, like, what are you, what are you getting me for Christmas? And I just remember that the clue she gave me is that it comes with a joystick. <laughs> and I didn't know what, the, I didn't know what that meant. You didn't know what a joystick was? No, I was so like, she thinks three. she's giving you a clue and you're like, uh... no, she knew she was giving me a clue that was a good clue, but that I wouldn't know what it meant. Okay. <laughs> and, and I didn't know what it meant. I, I don't, at this time, I didn't really have a conception of what video games were. Mm. And then, so wait, did you already have the NES at this point, or no? no? I didn't have an NES. Oh, okay, up. okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so this was this was my first system, and so I, and I had no conception really of what video games were, and so this was my introduction to you know to the medium. And so yeah, on, on Christmas Day we get this box that hooks up to the TV, with it actually got two controllers. So one was the the main pad that came with it, which was like a flat pad, kind of like the NES pad, mm-hmm. you know, a, like a D pad. And, you know, the two buttons, in this case, one and two instead of A and B. But then the other controller was basically like the Master System arcade stick, which was the joystick. Oh. So I actually had like a nice joystick controller. Oh, nice. And that was my preferred controller growing up. Like I played all of these games. I don't think I could do this now. Like I would play 2D platformers using like an arcade stick growing Whoa. up. Yeah, I, I I like developed some dexterity that I don't think I could reclaim anymore. And then, yeah, my mom would always have to play... What I thought was like the use the lesser controller, which was the the one that came with it, the flat one. She's like, oh no. Which yeah, I think 
would actually be the easier one to play a lot of these games with. I want to know to what extent you were playing with your mom versus to what extent at this age you were like handing her the controller when you were too frustrated and asking her to like solve the problem for you. You know what I mean? I think it was I think it was a good bit of both. I I think, I, you know, I could get pretty far in some of these games, but there were definitely moments when I would turn games over to her. And because I was, you know, just a whiny kid who thought, you know, you think your mom is can do literally anything. Yeah. Uh, she got really good at some of these games. <laughs> this is like your equivalent of the of the um, the like family legends of my house of like my mom being the first one to beat like Zelda and Mario and all that like coming home from lunch and and mom having finished it. Yeah, my mom got really good at some of these games. I don't know if she ever finished any of them, but you know she could get further than I could, or would get me to a certain point and then you know to a new point and then pause. And then I'd come home and play the new levels and then, you know, die. And then be like, okay, get me there again. <laughs> so would she work on it while you were at school or yeah. daycare? Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah. And so we'll talk about some of those games, some of her favorite games. She clearly has a lot of affection for at least a handful of them. Oh, yeah. I think I think she still does. You know, we showed her some of them and, you know, the memories kind of came rushing back. The other thing, you know, the, the thing that I think I'm maybe most nostalgic for when I was showing you the Master System and, you know, I still have it and I have... Uh, a bunch of games still, the boxes. Mm-hmm. The boxes of the Master System are incredible. It's similar to the Sega Genesis in that it's not this shitty, you know, cardboard that Nintendo gives. It's going to end up in the garbage or in the recycling. These are nice plastic boxes that you, you know, snap open and they have a good snap and they have a good heft. But they got a little out of control on the Genesis. The Master System boxes are classy. <laughs> They're classy, okay? Because they they all have the same kind of general background, which is just a white background with a nice black grid. The grid. And then very minimalist, like one icon that represents the game. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. So you don't get, you know, when you look at, you know, NES boxes, for example, some of them really trigger the imagination. You don't really get this with the Master System boxes. These are art pieces. These are meant to be displayed for your classy friends to come over <laughs> and look at while you play your master system and you smoke your cigars. It's definitely an edited, like stylized representation of the game. And don't mind that some of the icons that were chosen are completely terrible drawings. <laughs> the idea of what these boxes are, I think, is still terrific. Was the back of the boxes also standardized? Like what's do they look more typical on the back? I mean, the back of the box, you get your little summary with screenshots. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the back of the box is where the, where you get kind of the usual. They go a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit bonkers. You don't you don't want to show the back to your friends. You just want to display them <laughs> front facing out. I do aesthetically, sincerely appreciate the they they look like a series. Like it looks yes. like a set. It looks like they're clearly marked. And I mean, I know you have like standardized case sizes and stuff. Like the switch cases are are sort of a distinctive and uniform size and shape. But I don't know. I like, they don't just look like DVDs. They wouldn't have just looked like VHSs. Like, they were something no, particular. There's no DVD box. There's no PlayStation or Switch box that has that nice heft and the snap. These were... <laughs> the heft and snap. These were some thick boxes that I'm sure wasted a ton of plastic to make, but they feel so good. And you got those nice kind of chunky cartridges in them. Not quite, you know, not those big, cumbersome, any... NES cartridges. Those things are big. These are just kind of nice, you know, manageable rectangles. It'll fit in the hand, <laughs> plop into the control, plop into the console. Feels good. Get your joystick, go to town. Exactly. And so we had you play a number of games. And, and as I said last time, our one rule is that you could play any game as long as it's a game that I owned. Yeah. So we're not getting, you're not getting some heavy hitters here. You're not getting Fantasy Star, for example. Oh, yeah, right. Because uh, I didn't own that. I I talked before, you know, I, I would have been too young for it anyway. But, you know, that kind of like JRPGs just didn't appeal to me when I was that age. I just wanted, you know, mascot platformers. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, One exception is Ghostbusters. This was the, maybe the game I played the most. You and love Ghostbusters as a kid. Eh? I love Ghostbusters. And especially like the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters, I loved a lot. Did you see the cartoon before the movie? Probably. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't think that I I don't think the movie would have resonated well with me when I was like three. Yeah, that was part of what I was wondering. Yeah. So I, I think I knew them cartoon first. And I didn't know I didn't really know there's a difference between the cartoon Ghostbusters and the movie Ghostbusters sure. and like what this you know, what this um 
and you know what this game represented, which was which was the movie. But I replayed this Ghostbusters game. It's good. <laughs> it's 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 kind of really interesting. I think you know you didn't play the Ghostbusters game, but this is one that I played a lot with my mom, and so it has kind of four different parts, uh, which is kind of really interesting structurally. And so you know the first part, the first thing you do is you just you get a sum of money, which you know you start with ten thousand dollars. And you have to buy your your car as a Ghostbuster, and you have you to get to pick. Yeah, you pick from from oh. four, and they're and you know and and they go up in price, uh, and they all have you know different attributes. And then you have to load your car up with some equipment, like you got to buy all your traps, you got to buy your uh, PKE meters, you got to buy your um, containment units. This is a lot of customization for. But you just got to pick them out, and then you just kind of are on this like top down map of of a, a city. And you just like go around and whenever something starts flashing, you kind of you you move your little icon up there, which is a little Ghostbuster guy. You move your icon up there, you click on it, and then you go into like this little driving section, and then you have to capture these ghosts. And there's kind of this is kind of like a timed section. And basically, in order to progress to the next section, you have to have, I think, ten thousand dollars at the end. Okay. Uh, at least, right? You have to kind of make at least ten thousand dollars doing some ghost busting. Okay, so you're getting money for the ghosts that you collect. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. and you know, and you're, you're doing that, but you're also having to run back to your headquarters to put them in the containment unit. You're going to have to go buy more traps, buy new equipment as you're, as you're collecting money. It's, it's kind of really cool. Origin of Crazy Taxi. Understood. <laughs> and as you're, um, <laughs> and you know, as you're moving around the map, Sigourney Weaver and uh, Rick Moranis are like walking around. And if you, <laughs> if you hit them, you lose some money. So you have to kind of avoid, avoid them. Anyway, this section is kind of cool as a kid. I did not really get this section. I didn't really know like what, what you had you to do. Doing? Yeah. And I wanted to go to the later sections that were more action oriented. So this was the section that my mom would do. Okay. She would have to do this section and just get me to the next section, which was the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is like just jumping in front of a building. <laughs> and you just have to like time it so that you get your guy into a building before like and, and, and like not hit him. past him, right? Yeah. And you got to like scoop yeah. past him and not have him clobber you. It's just kind of a weird, like, arcade timing little mini game. And then you move into this action sequence where you're walking upstairs and, you know, ghosts are trying to attack you and throwing plates at you and you got to zap the ghosts as you kind of do this, you know, vertical side-scrolling thing. And then you're at the final boss, which is Gozer, who I never beat. But I got to frequently. Cool. Or my mom would get to Gozer frequently. And then <laughs> I would try to take over and I'd lose. But here's the thing. I was going through, you know, the case and we still have my old instruction manuals because it, because they come in this really nice box. Everything's still <laughs> preserved. And in the Ghostbusters, there's a code that my mom had written down. Whoa. And then I found out that if you put in this code at the beginning, you start with $100,000. So basically, you can just start that first section, put the controller down and let the timer run out. And no matter how poorly you do, you'll never have less than $10,000. So you just automatically beat that first section. Oh, cool. I have no idea how she found this code. <laughs> I bet she was like talking to her friends who have kids her who play no, stuff. No, no, no. I, nobody else had a master system. I I don't know how she got this code. I, did, I don't. Did she go like look through magazines like at the grocery store and then just like jot it down quickly? So here's something I know about your mom. If she is getting tired of doing something and has any sense that there might be a solution out there, she will go to great lengths to solve the problem. I don't know she's how she'd even know there was a code that would do this. Well there's that's no, a huge question. There's no internet. She says she doesn't remember. I don't know what kind of hustle she was pulling here, but she found some code that would allow her to beat this section hundred percent of the time by doing nothing. And I thought she was just great at this game. <laughs> I guess she was great at it in a different sense, but this isn't an honest living as a ghostbuster that she's that she's doing here. This is incredible. Like, does your mom even, like, that she even knows that codes are a thing? I don't, is, frankly. I have no <laughs> idea what happened. I don't know how she knows this code, but there it is. It's written in the instruction manual. She deceived me. I mean, probably not for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we never, we never did beat Ghostbusters, even though we got to Gozer, who for the longest time I thought was named Gorza because in the instruction manual, the name is misprinted as Gorza. Oh no! And so I'm going. When the first time I saw Listen, the movie, you're like high quality packaging, super classy, great attention to detail. Some typos. Oh, a lot of typos all the time. A lot of typos. 
So yeah, I always thought that, you know, the villain of Ghostbusters was Gorza. So I'm watching Ghostbusters for the first time, and, you know, I hear Egon call the ghost Gozer. I'm like, you idiot, Egon, it's Gorza. Excuse you don't, me, you sir. Don't, you don't know anything about ghosts. <laughs> Turns out that I was the idiot all along. <laughs> not for the last time. <laughs> Uh, but that's Ghostbusters, the game you did not play. Yep. Let's get into some games that you that you did play. And so you you know you played a bunch of Master System games, and based on the ones you played, I kind of broke. I think we can break these up into into different types, at least in two main types. Mm-hmm. So the first one I want to call Master System Mascots, because you played a series of games that had what for me were you know the Master System equivalent of Mario. And you know neither of these characters ever achieved the iconic status of Mario, but to me, these are my Marios, and that's Wonder Boy and Alex Kidd. So let's start with Wonder Boy, which is is actually kind of a, an interesting game because this game actually, you know, was a Master System game and then got adapted for the NES and the Game Boy later as Adventure Island or Super Adventure Island. Like, but you can play basically the same game with art changes on Nintendo systems. Which, when I found that out, it just kind of broke my brain for a bit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this was the first platforming game I would have ever played. And as you know, it's one of my favorite genres. And, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to know what you thought of it. Uh, if you want to kind of describe what, you know, the original Wonder Boy is, because there's there's a series of Wonder Boys. And, and something that's really interesting about, you know, Wonder Boy games and the Alex Kidd games is that unlike Mario, all the games or not all the games, but many of the games in those series are completely different from one another hmm. and that they don't really cohere as a, as a series. Some of the later Wonder Boy games do, but this one is definitely an, an anomaly in that it's a straight uh, 2D side scrolling platformer. And so do you want to describe what uh, what Wonder Boy is? Sure. So Wonder Boy, you play as sort of a little caveman. Wonder a Wonder Boy. Boy. Oh, a Wonder Boy. Um, and it's a it's a straightforward platform. Former with light action elements, you have um, sort of a hatchet thing that you that you throw. There's some simple weaponry. So one thing I think we want to talk about when we're talking about these games is what distinguishes them from you know the the platformer paradigm, which is Mario. Here. Sure. You know, and and how and how are they different? And you know, this is one way that Wonder Boy is kind of different. I mean, Mario can get fireballs. Yeah. But you know, Wonder Boy and his hatchet are kind of much more inseparable. Right. I mean, Wonder Boy, you still have to find the hatchet. But it's in every level, and the game almost requires you to have it. And definitely before any bosses, it just gives you a free hatchet. Like you're gonna have it. Yeah. You're gonna have the hatchet. Yeah. 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 And it it is useful, and it, it clearly is designed for you to have the hatchet as well. Like there's a lot of the platforming sort of doesn't exactly require, but I mean, one of the things in in these games is. Um, you can't jump on things as heads to kill them. Oh, yeah. That confused you in all of these games. I will never internalize that rule. It doesn't matter how many. If it's a 2D platform, I've too deeply grasped that you can do that. And I I fought that impulse through all of these games. And I, I still, even to my very last minute, was like losing lives to trying to land on a guy instead of like avoiding them completely. Yeah. In Wonder Boy, if you want to kill an enemy, you got to throw your hatchet at them. There's yep. nothing else you can do unless you find a fairy, which is basically your superstar and you can run through them. Yeah. But apart from that, you got you to gotta hatchet or you got to jump over them yep. or otherwise avoid them. Yeah. There are some pretty simple power-ups in, in this like you can you can get a skateboard that you lets you can get a skateboard <laughs> tony hawk well let's not get crazy it's hardly a tony hawk situation you are not it nearly... makes it it changes the flow of this game significantly in a way that i appreciate it i'll i'll say that and that i think is like more sophisticated than i necessarily was like expecting because i think like one of the so you're you're moving through just a couple of simple sort of level types in this. And one of the first things that struck me about this game is that it felt really spacious, at least in earlier levels, compared to like some of the other plat- 2D platformers that I've played. There's really gradual pacing and you sort of like, I, I felt like I wasn't going through in like a flow. I was more encountering each each obstacle or enemy or whatever sort of one at a time getting past it and then like, okay, what's the next thing? And then moving on. Yeah, so this I think is pretty key about this game. And one of the main things that differentiates it from something like Mario and and forces you to encounter the game completely differently, very few of the enemies move. Right. There are a lot of static enemies. So often it's about you 
coming across an enemy and then having to kind of slow down and figure out, you know, how you're going to get by it, you know, either jumping over it or throwing your hatchet at it. Mm -hmm. But you have to approach these levels much more tentatively than you would any in, in a Mario game. And the other thing is that these levels are almost completely on a horizontal plane. There's very little vertical space. It's not like a Mario where you have series of blocks you can jump over and across and you and, you, and use those to help you avoid enemies. You're basically, you have to encounter every enemy on the map. Yeah. And, and figure out how to get by it, right? Because there's no, there's no, there's no other avoiding it. You're, you're just walking along a flat plane. It's on the ground. By large. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, when you get the skateboard and you turn into this like, fluid movement machine. I, I yeah, so appreciate that as a significant change of pace. Yeah. So the skateboard kind of moves by itself. Yeah. Um, you can you can pull back to slow it down a little bit, but by and large, you know, your your uh, momentum is now out of your control. So you no longer have as much control of the pacing of the game. But you also get this huge speed boost and uh your jumping ability is is significantly increased. You can jump over obstacles much more easily so yeah this this feels particularly in your non-skateboarding moments this feels very very different than than a mario um the jump feels extremely different i mean it feels a little more a little more similar to the very very first marios but it's sort of this even paced like floaty non-accelerating straight up straight down all the same speed kind of arc yeah and again that's a reason why you can't do the mario thing where you know hold down run and just kind of bounce your way through the level yeah which is the one of the greatest things to do in mario you just if you take that approach to this game you're done yeah absolutely there was i am a little bit surprised in some ways i mean i guess if it was if this was just one of the first ones you've played that sort of inherently explains why it's special but um, I did feel like this game leaned into one of the things that I know you don't love about in platformer design, which is there are some levels where I felt like it was more about learning what was coming up in in the level and sort of memorizing how things work mm-hmm. than flowing through it. And I'm I'm thinking of the one where it's it's you're platforming over water and there's lots of these little cloud things that are platforms that some of which move, some of which don't, some of which fall, some of which raise up and you sort of don't know what some of them are going to do until you land on them yeah no that was always annoying i'll get i'll give the i'll give you that that was always annoying the one thing though is unlike mario this game does have checkpoints Mm -hmm. so at least it was it would be kind of generous so if you screwed up at a moment you know especially at one of these moments of these platforms that you don't know if they're going to raise up or fall or, or whatnot you could at least you know try again basically from that point right which was which was nice and i think made the game slightly less frustrating but as you mentioned, you know, the, this game, it has kind of a Mario structure, a Mario 1 structure where you have, you know, each world has four levels with the fourth level being a boss level. But in Wonder Boy, they all kind of have the same themes. You start in the forest, then you go to this water level that Michelle was talking about where you're you're platforming over water. And so th- in this game, you know, it, you hit the water, you're dead. So you have to platform over the water and it's, it's much more precarious uh, of a platforming level of, of all of them. Uh, then you get into this cave uh, style level and then you get back to the forest, but it's at night and then you make your your way to to the boss in that level. And the bosses in this game are so cool. Pretty or at least, cool. At least yeah. I thought they were cool. Do you want to explain what these bosses are? Yeah, sure. So you you first fight this boss that has like an eagle head thing. And as you hit him, eventually... So you, um, you throw your hatchet at his face. Yes. That is the only way to beat the bosses. <laughs> yes. And then eventually his head pops off and then he sort of flies away while regrowing a different head. So he, in in the first level, he regenerates with like a rhinoceros head. Uh, so the next time you meet him, he's going to have that head and you're going to have to fight like that version of him. And this was so exciting to me as a kid, like wanting to see what the next boss head would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and that being a marker of the progression, because otherwise, you know, the levels are, are quite similar. They, they repeat. But the one thing that's different is, you know, the boss is going to have a different head. And what's the next head going to be? And wanting to see all of the boss's heads. It is a pretty cool idea. I I really, like, I yeah. like this concept. Bowser's just got for, one head. Yeah, and just especially a big for, dinosaur. like, a limited resources concept. Like, this seems like a, uh, this is like a good boss solution, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, different animal heads. It's great. Yeah, no, it was cool. Um, speaking of, you mentioned uh, the levels, you know, repeating over a little bit. Can we talk about the music in this game? <laughs> sure. It's Keep great. going. It's a great tune. Keep going. 
It's about four bars of music in this entire. I counted a, a total of three songs in this game. You get a new song when you get to the boss level, mm-hmm. and that, you get a new too. and you get a new song when you get to the boss. When you get to the boss, you get this slowed down, creepy boss music that when i was a kid it was so scary because it's like <laughs> this is a boss fight if you don't have a hatchet the game gives you a hatchet it's like you gotta fight this boss one-on-one <laughs> you gotta hatchet him in the head armor up and you get this scary music it's it's so good uh, <laughs> I, i'm sorry you didn't like the the tune i thought it was catchy it is it is absolutely catchy i mean i think i'm it's like mario one doesn't have a huge variety of songs you got the same two songs over you got a above ground song you got a water song you got an underground uh, song yeah, that's fair enough. I think it this was this was also the first game that I played on uh, on this system, and so I think it's partially a victim of me like readjusting my expectations of like what's sound gonna be like on this one. You know what I mean? Um, I will say, for how long I listened to that four bars of music, it does a good job of not getting annoying. <laughs> and I, I, that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's sort of not. Like I, I actually don't think it's easy to score a game in a way that is both like pleasant to listen to and also tolerable for that long yeah and my mom immediately recognized this song yeah. she probably hadn't heard it in 30 years yeah no she she really liked it she was like and you don't get tired of it <laughs> which is true <laughs> your mom's reaction to us playing this game was so enjoyable for me and so funny her she was just sitting in the background like only piping up when she had something to say and she we'd be playing and she suddenly we'd hear her go like now this is when games made sense Nothing makes more sense than Wonder Boy. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, do they still make games like this for when you're like starting out? Which I thought was so sweet because she clearly like she remembers being able to find her way into playing these games. Whereas I think she looks at games that we play now and feels like I could never. Well, I think this is because my brothers have recently tried to get her to play through the first level of Mario Odyssey. <laughs> and I wasn't there to witness it, but it was apparently pretty pretty funny i mean that's a lot to jump into if you missed the whole transition yes. to 3d like we talked about this earlier on in in our first season um but yeah i don't know i i thought it was really sweet she, she'd be like isn't this better don't you like this more <laughs> yeah this is wonder boy was of the master some i think her favorite game of all okay. the games she, she would actually i think play this one for fun okay and she was she got quite good at it so that's wonder boy i had another wonder boy as well which is wonder boy 3 the dragon's trap which you did not play which I think is probably the best game that I owned. Oh, really? Um, I think you would actually really like this game. They just did a kind of a remaster of it with a really beautiful art style that I actually have on the Switch that I think you would really like. It's this game's kind of ahead of its time. It's an action RPG platformer with you know Metroidvania elements. Oh, actually, like in the time you'd ha- you're you know you're just playing with these games you know for like fifteen minutes, half an hour each. So I don't think you really would have had time to get into this sure. game. But I actually think that you would like it. It's a game I think way ahead of its time. I think it's a game. If you look at them now, like I think it's better than the original Metroid. Like I oh, think wow. it holds up better than the original Metroid. I think it's a ton of fun. So yeah, go play uh, Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap when you have some time. There you go. But that's it for Wonder Boy. The other mascot you encountered was someone who Sega was really banking on to be their mascot, to be their Mario. And then when they invented Sonic, they kind of They're forgot going, that he ever mind. existed. <laughs> but that's Alex Kidd with two Ds. And you played two Alex Kidd games. Mm-hmm. I think I owned three Alex Kidd games. And I think there were five on the Master System and all of them very different. Um, but you played the first one, Alex Kidd in Miracle World, which was the first Alex Kidd game I played, the first Alex Kidd game. It was also recently just remastered. What did you think of this game? This is also kind of a, an action platformer style game. Yeah. So in some ways, this felt more contemporary to me than the original Wonder Boy that that we played. But there's... I, I have to I have to just jump to this and get it out of the way up front. There's one thing that I will never forget in my entire life that happens in this game that made me briefly think I was not going to like any of these Alex Kidd games. Okay. That is the boss is you playing rock, paper, scissors with the computer. Yes, you pl- the 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 enemies are like the Jenkin clan, which I think is means like rock paper scissor, mm-hmm. and they're the bosses are all like yeah the guys it, it, the first boss is basically he has like a fist for a for a yeah. head and one has like a scissor yeah like, but they're like hands making the scissor and the yeah. paper shape they're disgusting creatures they yes they're very nasty and yeah you do have to, when you get to the boss of each world 
you have to play rock, paper, scissors against them. So you have, um, you play a game of chance to progress. Yeah. And you have to beat them two out of three times. I, so this is baffling to me as a game design decision, but also specifically harkens back to one of my most traumatic game memories. Playing rock, paper, scissors. Playing Netrunner with you. (laughs) We have to talk about this. Okay. Okay. So bear with me for a second here. Dimitri and I went through a phase where we played a lot of Android Netrunner, which is an absolutely incredible asymmetrical card game that I can't recommend enough if you have someone in your life that you'd like to never speak to again. I don't think it's available anymore because of licensing issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. So great job, Michelle. You just... Listen, I'm sure... Listen. You can probably find it on the resale market. Just trust me then. It's great. So we fell down this big hole of playing it and we, we sort of settled into playing the same roles most of the time. And I was the the runner, the hacker, and Dimitri was the was the corp, the sort of defensive player. And he had this one, there's this one card in it where if the hacker gets all the way through to steal something from the corp, it turns out you can make them play this game where you you each hide your fist and you put down either zero, one, or two credits, like money. And that determines whether the hacker actually succeeds in stealing the thing after going through so much to get there game a chance baby i this is seriously the reason why i stopped playing that this game because i just it's so game breaking and i just i felt in my body all the the netrunner anger come gushing out when faced game with breaking this, when you lose oh my god i'm gonna get sincerely <laughs> mad if we keep talking <laughs> But yeah, it's it's that thing again where it's like well, I did all the platforming, and, I got here, and, and Alex, <laughs> Alex Kid gave you Netrunner, like yes, flashback, and just like yes. I don't think anybody else has ever made that connection. My body felt mad <laughs> when this happened. <laughs> so you didn't love these games? Well, I didn't love this one. <laughs> okay, but Alex Kid in Miracle World, though, again, you gotta you gotta give it some credit here, especially when you're thinking of how was this different from the the other guy's game. How is this different from that stinky plumber? And this game immediately is different because you start and you're doing vertical platforming immediately. Yeah. This starts you at the top of a pit on the first level. Yeah. You know, you see that other guy, you see him going from left to right. This game starts you at the top of like a cliff. Yeah. And you're platforming your way down. You're using your big balled up fist to break blocks. Yeah. You know, you don't need to use your head. You use your fist like a man. And also, very impressive to me on this first level is that you go straight into water. Yes, and you don't die. You just start swimming. You have this very seamless, in the first level, this like old Sega Master System game is like, here's a bunch of verticality. Here's a bunch of different blocks to break, some of which have, you know, secret baddies in them. Here's baddies to fight. And you find- here's taking you right into a water environment in the same space. Here's this frog wearing pants. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I... This is cool. Yeah. This and is then genuinely cool. You get through that level, and then you get to the next level, and the first thing you do is you enter a shop. Mario's got no shops. True. Mario's got no motorcycles for sale. You buy a motorcycle, you're speeding through. This is this just this is even better than the skateboard. Yeah. And this with the motorcycle, you can motorcycle your way through enemies. You you're destroying everything in your path when you're motorcycling. It's awesome. Later he gets this little like manual helicopter that's just like this big, I don't know, like he just like this big uh looks like a fishbowl on his head <laughs> with like little gears that he manually moves with his hands that helps him helicopter around. It's so cool. I'm yeah. sorry you have to play rock, paper, scissors, but the rest <laughs> of this game is very cool. Like and you're doing speed boating, you know, you're helicoptering through the sky. It's things you know that you would never see Mario do. Which was, you know, what really helped differentiate this game and why I thought he was very cool. Does this at any point get too far away from being a, a like a platformer for you with all the with the flying and the and the boating and the motorcycling and all that stuff? No, because the jumping is kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, fair. The actual platforming is not the smoothest. Yeah. Uh, it's a little fiddly. So I would, uh, yeah, I would always take a chance if that motorcycle's for sale, I'm buying it. Yeah. This this is a game of highs and lows for me. I will say there's there's a lot that I really liked about it, um, 
there's definitely a lot of creativity. Like I certainly can see why this was appealing enough to be the start of a of a series. But I know the one you like the most is another Alex Kidd game that I owned. Correct. Which is very different, which is Alex Kidd in Shinobi World. Yeah, this which, game's cool. Which was a parody of another popular Sega game called Shinobi, which was an action game where you played a ninja. But in this case, you had the iconography of Shinobi. You had a lot of the music of the Shinobi. But this one was much more aimed at kids and featured a kid, Alex Kidd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but this actually happened to Alex Kidd a lot, where initially a game would be in production, and then Sega would be like, oh, just make that an Alex Kidd game. Oh, okay. Kind of like what happened with Doki Doki Panic and Super Mario Brothers 2 in the US. That happened with Alex Kidd a lot, it seemed, where they just want their mascot everywhere, even if the games weren't consistent. So there was kind of this more kid-friendly platformy version of shinobi being made and then they just stuck alex kid on there and they're like okay just send him to shinobi world he just (laughs) goes to different worlds this game still holds up this game is really fun this it's much more complex in some ways at least your you know your moves and your abilities as alex kid are much more complex than in miracle world you've got you know you've got a double jump you've got kunai for throwing you can uh bounce off walls you can do this cool thing where if there's a pole, you spin around it really fast and then launch yourself. And as a fireball. Yeah. And you like don't take understand things out. how fun this is. This should be in every game now. It's very good. Just spinning around a pole. Like they'll just be either like. um, Like a lamppost. Like lampposts or like, I don't know, gymnastics bars yeah. sometimes. <laughs> and you just start spinning on them and you can fly in any direction. Launch up, launch out. So you take cool. guys out. You take bricks out. You open up new pathways. It's so much fun. You have cool, some destructibility in the environments where, like I said, this can like open up new places that you can go. Um, this is extremely cool. You're ducking in and out of water. Again, That's that comes from the earlier one. You've got a boss that looks like George Washington. You got... Yeah, I always thought he was George Washington. I, <laughs> he, he does look like George Washington. You also have another boss that's just a, an actual lobster. Because yeah. in the original Shinobi, there is a samurai guy who is known as the lobster he's red he's yeah who's like a red samurai you know it's his like samurai code name yeah, but yeah. in this game it just a literal oh, oh, <laughs> his name is robster because he robs people okay but he's just a lobster it's awesome yeah yeah um this also has cool level like level design that i was yes. not expecting in a couple of cases most memorable for me is there's a level early on where um it's sort of a maze but you're like taking out blocks that will let you move uh, downwards and then back around and upwards and you have to do like a pole flippy thing but you're you're breaking up huge parts of the environment as you go to get through you're taking out guys like it's it's one part sort of pathfinding and one mm-hmm. part path creating like that that to me is like quite forward thinking i mean i don't know maybe this was common no, at and the there, time, but there like, are multiple levels with multiple paths you can take like that, that's cool yeah and uh and secrets all over the place and i remembered a lot of them yeah yeah that was really fun yeah I remember, there's one that was like down a waterfall yeah you think you might be you might die if you go down there but it actually like gives you a, a different part of the level yeah i remember just exploring this game forever because there's just so many little things to to poke and prod at yeah this game uh this game still holds up this game is fun also that tornado power up is sick yeah you turn into a tornado and launch little tornadoes all over the place you can tear it up and like go really high up on the screen very cool it's really good yeah i think of the you know of these mascot platformers this is definitely the best one yeah the the one that holds up the most today yeah so with that let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about a few of the other master system games that we played back 
And so we talked about some of the bigger mascot games on the Sega Master System. But there's one other game I really want to talk about with you that's not quite a mascot game, though it could have been and maybe should have been. This is Dynamite Ducks. This game sucks. D-U-X. More like Dynamite sucks. How dare you? <laughs> In this game, you play as a duck. Though you were once a human, you were transformed into a duck. And you Which is go. very vaguely communicated by the very fuzzy opening cutscene. And you gotta go and save your lady friend mm-hmm. in this side-scrolling beat-em-up. That chugs like crazy on its original system. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> there's so many enemies on the screen. So many weird, freaky little sprite creatures. So, I have an affection for this game that clearly you don't have. Because this was the first game I ever beat on my own. Oh, okay. All right. You know what? I respect that. I respect that. I was so proud of myself for beating this game. And then you talk shit about it. And then on the internet, there's this guy (laughs) who I watch sometimes. He's called the Happy Console Gamer. (laughs) Who you generally love. He's this Canadian guy out of Vancouver. He's usually generally happy. Good vibes. And then one day he has this video that's called his least favorite games of all time, or these games suck, something provocative. <laughs> I'm wondering, what's his least favorite game of all time? It's Dynamite Ducks. <laughs> and then he just rips on it for like 10 minutes. And and the How reason, long do we have? The reason he ripped on it <laughs> was because he saved up all of his money. So he's a bit older than us, so he wouldn't have been... So he he's would, early 40s, maybe? Been, he would have been in his teens, yeah. maybe, when he went... To, and So apparently, he, you know, he saved up all this money and went and bought Dynamite Ducks and brought it home. And then he's saying he beat it in like three hours. That makes me feel like a piece of shit because <laughs> oh, no. I spent so much time struggling through this game, getting better, getting stronger, and then beating it and feeling so good when I beat this game. The yeah, first game kid. ever beat on my own. And then just to hear you and him crap on it. <laughs> well, I didn't beat how it. Do you think- <laughs> You've still, you're still better than me at Dynamite Ducks. Does that make you feel good? Well, no, you're crapping on the game. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> This game craps on itself. This game sucks. This game, okay. Can you talk to me about one thing? The range of the punch. So your default attack move in this is just a punch. Two things. This is, no, no things yet. I'm not done. This has the shortest range of any weapon I have ever seen in a video game. Like, you have to get within, I swear to God, two pixels of any particular enemy for your shitty punch to work. You might as well just not arm me until I pick something up. Two things. One. You say get good, I swear to God. Did you, so the the default punch when you just hit the button sucks. Did you try holding the button? The wind up? Because then you wind up the punch. I don't know if you've ever heard of a phrase called always be charging. Yeah. And then when you release (laughs) the wound up punch, you do a great punch. Yeah. Talk to me about how how the utility of that is when you have, as you described, many enemies on screen. Well, part two is that this game has some great weapons. As you're going along, you're finding especially like bazookas you get this bazooka that's still today shooting things with that bazooka you hear it's like a it's like a big chunky bazooka and whenever you attack something with it you get this great sound effect that's like as the enemies disappear it feels so powerful i think it still feels good so you shouldn't even have to rely on your punch it doesn't you get, feel like an explosion though they just kind of go you get pistols you get um a water gun to take stones. out the fire you can just throw rocks you can just throw rocks what kind of game just has rocks in it what game doesn't? This is a versatile character. If you get turned into a duck and have to come save me, I hope to God they are picking up anything you see on the ground and throwing it at the end. I really need you to acknowledge how bad that punch is before we can move on. We're not going anywhere in this conversation until you tell me that that punch is bad. It's half bad, not when you wind it up. Okay, moving on. <laughs> oh my God. We played a few other games. Okay, no, no, no. We're not done with Dynamite Sucks. Okay. Here comes, first of all, first... Second of all, because I already did the the punch range thing. This is the worst version of same boss multiple times I've also ever seen. Shitty Geodude ass. How many times do I have to fight you? Slightly different spinning around powers. This isn't fun. I'm not having a good time with this guy. Fight rocks. Oh, my God. You're just punching your rocks with your shitty little T-Rex arms. Okay. Also, but the thing that actually made me the maddest in this, 
You're walking along what looks like a country western street. Picture like a, a dirt road that has like saloons opening onto it. But also picture that you're on a mountain cliff. Okay. Like a okay. Cliff top. Okay. No jumping ahead. And then just the front of the screen on like your side of the road is is just like uh, wobbly brown, right? It looks like flat dirt. Why would it go saloon road with no guardrail or anything and then cliff? So at one point I'm fighting a guy and I start moving down screen to try to get around him and I fall off the bottom of the screen. Yeah. And I say, what happened? Dimitri matter of factly says, you fell off a cliff. Bitch, what? There's no, it, I cannot tell you how much this does not look like a cliff. It makes no sense physically that this is a cliff. Like if you map it, the geometry, the like geography doesn't make sense. Like, is this the shining house of roads? Like it makes absolutely no, it's not telegraph. Why would it let you just move too far to one side and fall off the cliff? I don't know how this could have looked any more like a cliff. Uh, it could have put in any sort of uh, shape or like gradation that indicated that it was a downwards thing. It could have had like guardrails even at some points and not at others to indicate like, oh, they they're trying to keep you from going off. Well, here. they're not trying to keep you from going off. This is okay. Explain to me rumble- how a country western town is setting up a thing where a saloon opens onto a road that the other side of the road is just a sheer cliff face. Well, if the purpose is to keep dynamite ducks out of there and to defeat him, they it failed. makes perfect sense to build a cliff and oh to my push God, him off the cliff so and to not put guardrails. And just, it's the matter of factness with which you were like, you fell off a cliff. Mm, yeah. Mm, the cliff got you. Oh, yeah. To me, it looks like a cliff. Oh, yeah. That'll happen. I don't think I ever fell off that cliff, even as a child. I think I always knew that that was a cliff. This game absolutely sucks. Johnny was right. Okay. And, uh, you know, with that positive energy, we started playing some co-op games. <laughs> uh, because this is, I think, the thing that I remember the Master System for the most is having some fun co-op experiences with my mom as the co-op partner. I was going to say, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about with this whole thing. Sorry, I'm just trying to get my mind out of dynamite ducks. I got to make a big pivot here. Um. You talk a lot about, you know, hand, you guys like tapping in and out as you're playing single player games. Like, did you look for co-op games specifically to play together, like with the intention to play together? Or was it basically like what you want to play with with her supportively, Sometimes, like gamely joining? Well, in? so both of these games have, I mean, court, the first one doesn't have a, a big story, but the other one does. But, you know, I think the, the appeal of the first game, so the first game we're going to talk about is called Quartet is that it was marketed specifically as a two-player co-op game, and that's one of the reasons that we picked it up. Cool. I think this game is very cool. Do you want to explain what it is? I'll try. So you play... uh, The two characters that are playable are um, Spacey Mary (laughs) and Edger. Um, Supposed to be Edgar. It's another typo. (laughs) Edger. Uh, And you're in this overrun space colony full of like weird alien stuff. But when I say weird alien stuff, I mean so much weirder and denser and more unusual and unpredictable and aggressive than in any of these other games by a mile. Like a flying pair of lips. Yeah, like just just like an acid trip of things. Um, It's, I would say, meaningfully harder, I think, than the other ones. It's much more of an action platformer than just uh, getting through the space. So this is a game, this started out as an arcade game, as many Sega Master System games did, especially the co-op ones. They'd often be, you know, Sega arcade games that would then get ported over to the home consoles. And and yeah, this is a this is an action platformer where you are these I don't know space marines. I'll call them. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, shooting your way through these alien colonies and sometimes flying your way because one of the coolest things you can do in this game is grab a jetpack. It's pretty sick, and I really like that. You can jetpack until you get hit by anything, and then the jetpack stays where it is, but you fall. So there's also like an art to like where the jetpack stays. Like, can you get back to it afterwards? Like, there's a lot of jetpack management involved with having a jetpack, which I appreciate and respect. Yeah, there's there's kind of a strategy to the to the jetpack, and um, you know, yeah, you don't want to be flying too high because if you get hit and then you fall, you might not be able to get your jetpack back. So you yeah. have to kind of stay, you know, mid screen. Um, yeah, this game is really fun. You were... Oh, just atrocious. I, what happened? Can I tell you why? I was looking at too much stuff. <laughs> it is... I couldn't focus. It's sincerely. not white bullet hell. 
Right, but, but it, yeah, 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 yeah. But it gives you the same sensation of just, I think it's, so it's it's just side scrolling, so it's just left to right, Um, but there's also some backtracking involved sometimes. In, yeah, there's like a levels. little bit of wayfinding, like yeah. there's there's a level where you have to go through a couple of rooms and find a key somewhere yeah. and then go back and through, so there's like a nice amount of, it's absolutely not just like a left to righty mm-hmm. kind of platformer. And there's a density of enemies, but also... It's not, you know, it's not like a bullet hell density, but it's like all of the enemies are just on weird paths. Like yes. whatever their AI is doing is just on these like insane paths. Yeah. And so it's so hard for you to notice, like to figure out what their patterns are and everything just seems like a cluster. Can I tell you what I appreciate about that? So it doesn't sound like it would be a good thing, but I, I mean this sincerely as a compliment. It's the movements of these enemies feel alien hmm. in the sense that they're not little aliens that are just like, a weird shape, but have like guns that fire in the same way that we do. They feel like things that, like that flying pair of lips. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what your mission is. I don't know where you're going. Yeah, it's like it feels like they aren't programmed by humans with like reason and logic. Like it, them. it genuinely captures a sense of alienness as well as I think I have just about ever felt in a game. Like, hmm. A, wow. you could have given me... I really like this. I sincerely really like this game. I wish I was better at it because I would actually go back and like play it for real. So remember when we did our grab bag that was all about games that produce specific emotions? Yeah. You could have given this to me for overwhelm, <laughs> probably, it was, and it would have been better than Silver Surfer. It, I would have got further in it, although not by much. Um, and it also, in a way, made me think about uh, LSD Dream Simulator Mm. Um, because of the way that you have to sort of just accept the the experience that you're having and like meet it on its own terms. um, I I felt weirdly challenged by this, not just in a gameplay. I don't know. I really like this Hmm. game. There's something about this I really vibe with. I really like it. There's something that is not just superficially oddbally about. It's not just weird enemy design, right? There's something fundamentally strange about mm-hmm. this game in a way that, in the way that, really appeals to me a lot. Well, I'm hoping more people can find it uh, and learn about it because it's going to be featured in Lost Judgment, oh, the really? game that's coming out. Yeah, because in that game, so it's the sequel to Judgment, which is like the spinoff of the Yakuza series. And in Lost Judgment, you're at you're in the you know mid to late '80s. And your character actually has a master system. And one of the games it has been revealed that he has for it is Quartet. Go play Quartet. Yeah. And if you're wondering why it's called Quartet when you only have two players, it's because the arcade game you had four and they cut it down to two for the console version and didn't rename it because duo is not <laughs> duet. Like it's not, doesn't have the same, uh, you know, power to the, to the name. Yeah. This but, game really has something. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think my mom and I ever got past the third level. But we played it a lot, and uh, you know it doesn't really matter. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. But the game my mom and I beat many times, <laughs> hours and hours into this game, one of my favorite games on this system, Rampage. So this is a game that my mom and I first discovered. I'm pretty sure we were on vacation at Universal Studios Florida. I'm almost positive that's where we encountered the arcade game of Rampage. Like, so in the arcade? Yeah, they had okay, like, okay, okay. you know, where like the, they had like, you know, like where you could, where like the food court was and then they had an arcade of Sure, rampage. sure, sure. Okay. And I remember just being drawn to this game and playing it and getting my mom to play it and just falling in love with this game. And then not having any sense that it would ever be released on a home console. And then one day my mom coming and saying, hey, you know what I found? Rampage. Oh my God. For the system that we own. Let's go get it and play Rampage. Oh, that's so nice for a little kid. Yeah, and we played th- this game. This is, it's it's not long. It's very repetitive, as you as you notice. So, yeah. So Rampage, you get to play as a kaiju. You get to play Ralph. It's like a giant werewolf. You get to play Lizzie, who's a giant lizard dinosaur thing. Or you get to play George, who's like a King Kong. There's no bad choice. No bad choice. And you just go to these levels that have buildings. And you just scale the buildings and destroy them. And, Listen, all, and all the while, you know, the army is sending in helicopters to shoot you. And yeah, guys are launching stuff out of They're windows, trying to stop whatever. you and you can just break the helicopters. You can eat the people. Listen, it's, it's a kaiju simulator. It's simple. It's clear. It's tearing down buildings as a kaiju. It's all a game needs to be. 
it's such a good idea for a game. <laughs> it really is. It's so fun. And it requires exactly the correct amount of attention for a game like this, which mm-hmm. is like a little bit, but like still <laughs> a hanging out level of attention, yeah. you know? Um, like there's there's like good semi-party game vibes to this. You can play two-player and there is, this is one of the rare cases where I think it's good that there is friendly fire damage. Yes, you can punch each other. Yeah, which is which has a crucial element of like two playerness <laughs> to the game. <laughs> yes, um, it's Except great. These I mean, rabbit animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so I am interested in the fact that you say you and your mom played this for hours and hours because to me this is a quintessential tasty single bite of game that you sit down and mess around with for half an hour. And then you do something else. No, we had to see the end. We had to see how long it goes. And it goes. I can't believe there even is an end. It goes for end. a while. Yeah, you go through. So basically every like world is a series of levels that takes place in a major city in the US. They all kind of look the same. You just get a title screen that says like San Francisco. And then you play four <laughs> levels. And you get a, a title screen that says Dallas. And you like play the buildings kind of look the same. Like everything's kind of. Yeah. But we, yeah, there is an ending. We played through so many. This is how I learned American cities when I was a kid, because I heard the names here for the first time in Rampage when I was destroying their buildings. It has a great sense of humor. You know, my favorite thing you can do, and I know I I annoyed my mom doing this and I was annoying you doing this, is that sometimes I just, you know, because of the friendly fire, you just punch the other guy because it's really fun when you lose a life, you like lose your kaiju powers and you turn to this little naked being and then like run across the stage and the other person can eat you. Yeah, the other player can eat you and then you'll respond. But it's very funny to eat your friend. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's fun to pull guys who are trying to throw bombs at you out of buildings and eat them also. Yeah, eating people's fun is what the thesis of this game is. Yeah, listen, we talked about this in that shitty Jurassic Park fighting game (laughs) where you could theoretically eat people who are trying to come control you because you're a mighty dinosaur and they're a tiny pedestrian. Put more eating people in games. You know, strangely enough, as much as I enjoyed this game, I've never played any of the myriad sequels to this game. You know, there are sequels going up through, I think, even past the N64 and GameCube era of of Rampage. It's like, this is just the purest form for me. I I didn't even see the movie Rampage with The Rock that came out a few years ago. Maybe we should watch that. Oh, that's connected to this? Yeah, it's it's based on this Rampage. He loves making movies that are about dumb game stuff, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Rampage is, you know, simple, but a good old time is maybe, you know... For me, sums up what the master system was um, in my household and I as a kid. You know, it's just the the place for my mom and I to like to bond over some games. This is here's my takeaway from this console. You can come here and have a good time. Oh yeah, you have a great time. Yeah, there's a ton of good games on the system that we did not play because I did not own them because, like I said, I just picked games based on if I thought the box looks cool <laughs> or if I played them at the arcade at Universal Studios. Those That's are my how criteria. we got Dynamite Ducks. It's a great game. Go try out Dynamite Ducks. Think for yourself. Don't listen to what Michelle Go try Quartet and Alex Kidd in Shinobi World. Those are your two big recommendations? Absolutely. Absolutely, no doubt. Do you have any other thoughts about the Master System? Yeah, it's it's surprising to me how many surprises there were in in this, in in a really pleasant way. Um, You know, I was someone who played a very small number of the sort of very official, like, Nintendo first party produced things on the Nintendo system. And so I sort of have this idea in my head that um, that I think is I'm now reevaluating, which was that most of the stuff other than that in this era was like a little junky or like not where like the like serious like Mm. design work was happening. Uh, And I feel that this has pushed back on on some of those perceptions a little bit. You know who got it right? Brazilians. The master system enormous in brazil oh yeah like they made games for the master system for so long for the brazilian market Hmm. just incredibly incredibly popular Uh, but i think you're right you know like one of the part of the value of going back and looking at the master system is because you see kind of different game design philosophies that you don't necessarily see represented on the nes especially from the master system first party sega stuff you know it's not the same as first party nintendo stuff and you know just the way that history has worked out the first part of Nintendo stuff is the stuff or like the design philosophy that's trickled down more into the stuff that I think you play now. A lot of the stuff that I play. And it's always good to remind yourself, you know, there are these alternate paths and those paths are also really interesting. It's like a different evolutionary branch. Yeah. Of- and there are different, uh, you know, and there are different ideas there. Some that might still be fresh now. 
Um, give me a game where you can fling around telephone poles and turn into a ball of fire. I would love that. Give it to me right now. Uh, so anything else? Yes. Dynamite sucks. Okay, that's going to be it for us. Uh, as always, if you have enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It is a huge help. Uh, you can find more information about this show at neverwasagamer.com and follow us on Twitter if you want to at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening and indulging me, especially as I you know revisited some of these games for the first time in you know 30 years. I thought it was a lot of fun. But we're done for grab bags now because next episode we're starting our new arc. And our new arc is looking at some of the best, least my favorite. <laughs> you gestured a question mark when you said best. That makes me nervous. <laughs> I think they're good. These are some of my favorite or some of the most interesting licensed games. And we are going to be starting our arc of licensed games with a man who has a license to kill. James Bond. Because we're going to be playing GoldenEye 007 for the N64. I'm very excited. So we're going to go off and do that. And we'll see you next time after Michelle has finished GoldenEye and finally learned that creeping on a guy, taking a shit, and then shooting off his hat is an essential part of being a gamer.